It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Good morning to everyone. Scott Foster here with you, along with a full cast of characters, Clay Patton, Brandon Bennett. I mean that in the nicest way. Bob Rogan is also here, and uh, we... uh, you know, we're still talking a lot about the aftermath of the flooding and some of the things that are going on there. For so many people, this is just the beginning for it, them, isn't it? It yeah. really is. Working on uh, some farmer stories in and around the area, but uh, just driving around and surveying, there's areas where the, the corn crop, now four or five feet tall, looks about a foot tall with the water still standing in fields several days later. It, it, can that, is that corn... Can it survive that, standing in that water? What do you think? Some mixed opinions, some mixed emotions going around. Some say if that water, maybe if we can get it dried out over the weekend, we'll be okay. But you know, if it sits there more than probably four or five days, you would think that would really start to have some implications on the, the cell structure of the plant itself. Right. And not to mention disease and fungicides and stuff that are going to come after it. Yeah. So. And unfortunately, it's flood water. I know a lot of this groundwater, but how many contaminants were pulled across and... And brought through those fields with it, unfortunately. So That's tough. Well, what do you got for us today, Clay? Well, our thoughts are with all those hit by the flooding. But as we take a look at 1219, it's Susan Littlefield talking again with K-State on insect concerns in soybeans and grass threats to to pastures. So a lot of insect management. At 1245, we're calling all tractor enthusiasts new, old, and alike. If you have a restored tractor, just a hard, good, hardworking farm tractor, we're talking about the 7th Annual Custer County Tractor Ride for Custer Care, riding for a cause. We'll be talking with Heather Kohan the administrator of Custer Care for more on that. 117, we go to Chad Moyer, who's talking with Lee Brees, crop consultant from North Dakota, uncover crop use and using a systems approach to solving cropping issues from the, from the Sustainable Agronomy Conference in Omaha. It's Chad Moyer reporting almost live. Okay, lots of stuff. Very good. Almost live. I like that. Thank you, Clay. We turn it over to Brandon Bennett. You know, one of the, one of the most important books probably that has ever been written about baseball was ball four and and uh, uh that guy that wrote that is being remembered in Carney a little bit. He is a little bit. Jim Booten, who died this morning at the age of 80, had a pretty good Carney connection. Now, he was a guy who signed for the Yankees at the hefty sum of $30,000 way back in 1958, played for a number of years as a Yankee, went 28-1 and with six shutouts in his second year, pitched in a number of World Series. He was also one of the inventors of Big League Chew. Sure. If you remember that, it came in the tobacco-looking yeah, pouch. Yeah. It was shredded bubble gum, right. so you could chew but not really use tobacco it was big league chew he's one of the inventors of that but he also played in carney at historic memorial field there at the north portion of carney where unk baseball used to play and american legion still plays well not only did the monarchs and buck o'neill and others play there well jim Booten played there back when the d league for the Major League Baseball farm system, the Yankees had a D-League team, and Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Jim Booten played there. Well, Jim just died today, so we'll talk about Jim a little bit. Also, we'll talk about the All-England Club. Serena Williams back for her 11th final, Uh-oh. looking for her 8th title versus somebody who's in the final for the first time. Bless her heart. Well, that will that should be interesting. Thank you, there, Brandon. Bob, we turn it over to you. Stocks up a little bit. The Dow, the Dow Jones Industrial Average moved above the 2,700-point mark for the first time today, a day after the S&P 500 made its first move above 3,000. The, reacted, the re, uh, market is reacting to that. Also, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell saying home builders are caught between a rock and a hard place because of higher tariffs and tougher immigration policies. Those stories and more. All right, that's all coming up on Midday. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with me, and uh, we're still dealing with, obviously, floodwaters, especially as they move east towards the Missouri River and the Platte River out there. Yes, uh, many people, especially along the Wood River, that's the main uh, problem right now because uh, several towns right along the mm-hmm. Wood River uh, given all the way over to Wood River and Alden, expecting some flooding in those towns like we are seeing some flooding in Gibbon right now. And that will continue to, of course, uh, move downstream. Ideal weather, actually, for some drying conditions uh, with this warm and dry weather that we are headed towards uh, getting the kind of things dried out as we head into the late part of July. Usually that's not the case, but actually need it this time around well and now the the toughest part of all of the flood is the cleanup it seems like yep. and so we're starting to see people really having to deal with that all right well at least the weather's good yes uh, significant plenty and expected to continue for at least a few more days especially along the wood river Platte river and republican river in south central nebraska highway 30 still is closed from east of Kearney all the way to shelton major flooding is continuing in gibbon many homes and businesses to the north of highway 30 in gibbon flooded as was the case and the record flood of March. Water will also begin to come up through the storm sewer on the south side of the railroad tracks at Gibbon, flooding many additional homes. That river will fall below flood stage by Saturday morning towards Gibbon. Also extensive flooding expected in the town of Wood River. Major flooding also forecast on the Wood River near Alda. Water expected to flow across the Alda Road and over Highway 30 to the west of Alda. The river towards Alda will fall below its flood stage by Monday afternoon. Major flooding will continue for the Republican River near Orleans. The river will continue to fall below flood stage, though, by tomorrow evening. Major flooding is forecast for the Platte River near Grand Island. The river will fall below flood stage by late Sunday morning. Grand Island, though, not threatened by the uh, floodwaters. Flood warning is in effect for Southern Knuckles County and Thayer County. This is an update of a warning that we had earlier. It was set to expire for these areas earlier. But once get a flood warning for Southern Knuckles County and all of Thayer County runs until 10:15 tomorrow morning. Flooding continues across much of Thayer County and portions of Knuckles County. Road 3600 to the south of Superior is closed, and the flood warning for Central Phillips County, North Central Kansas, in effect until 2:30 this afternoon. Many rural roads remain impassable in those areas. Right now our temperature is in the upper 70s and even some low 80s as you head towards the Nebraska Sand Hills and portions of northern Kansas and northeast Colorado. As warm as 86 right now at Ray, Colorado. Not too bad on the humidity. The dew points currently into the low 60s. It will be slightly warmer than yesterday for today across the region with some sunshine and south winds as high pressure slides off towards the east. But the temperatures today actually still a little bit below normal for this time of year. It will remain on the comfortable side with the humidity only increasing slightly. A ridge of high pressure will build east from the Rockies for tomorrow all the way through next week. For a sustained warmer trend and mainly dry weather, scattered thunderstorms are possible in Nebraska late tomorrow and tomorrow night when a weak cold front drops into northern Nebraska. A few of those storms could be severe, but mainly near the front and along north of Highway 92 in northern Nebraska. That high-pressure ridge pushes farther to the east for the weekend and next week. That will result in warmer than normal temperatures just as we head into the warmest time of the year. A few storms will be possible with some disturbances riding the edge of that ridge. Humidity not expected to increase much since a tropical storm will keep most of the moisture off to our southeast. 
In the long-term forecast, above-normal temperatures will stick around in Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. for Tuesday through July 24th. Near-normal to below-normal rainfall is indicated for Tuesday through the 24th in Nebraska and Kansas. A better chance of drier weather late next week through the 24th. In the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado remain drought-free. In fact, 89% of the United States right now drought-free. Weather factors driving the markets include a close watch on rain chances in the eastern Midwest and drier weather for wheat harvest in the southern plains. Tropical Storm Barry is forecast to strengthen and may become a hurricane before reaching the central Gulf Coast tomorrow or Saturday. Barry's primary threat expected to be localized heavy rain totals of 10 to 12, 10 to 15 inches or more and some flooding. Crops potentially in the storm's path include sugar cane and rice. A broader area of the south and east U.S. will experience scattered rain from the tropical moisture and a cold front. Spotty rain will affect the plains and Midwest in the next five days. Across the Midwest, seasonal to above normal temperatures will help for favorable growing degree day accumulation for crops in the delayed crop season. The southeastern Midwest could be the recipients of some of that tropical rain from Tropical Storm Barry. The eastern Midwest has had below average rain the past two weeks, so the rain will be important. Towards the southern plains, warm to hot weather and little rain will favor the wheat harvest during the next week. Summer row crop weather also favorable due to adequate soil moisture along with some well-supplied irrigation. By the way, the first tropical storm was named Alvin. I oh, it okay. So that, was, that was your I, A. Okay, and they must be going with guys this year, huh? Barely, <laughs> barely, but very good. Well, uh, by the way, you know, the um, when we look at a year that has been anything but normality, we're finally going to have some normal temperatures, it looks like. Yeah, uh, late July, early August, the hottest time of the year, usually about the 20th or so, and on into the early parts of August, and just in time, uh, the weather is going to warm up to above normal levels for this time of year, instead of being at average or below that. All right, very good. Well, where are you gonna, what are you going to do, man? It's, yeah, it's, get that air conditioner ready and tuned up. All right, very and, good. And check out krvn.com. There you go. Thank you very much. We here at KRVN, Cami and the River know livestock producers work hard every day to provide delicious Nebraska beef to the world. So now it's our turn to feed the feeders. Nominate yourself or another deserving livestock producer on the Fun and Games page at KRVN.com and our crew could be driving out to you in a pickup from Pony Express Chevrolet in Gothenburg with a delicious barbecue beef lunch from Around the Block Catering in Lexington. Crops and pastures have some concerns this growing season. Good morning, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. This year's late-planted soybean crop could be vulnerable to an insect that normally causes little trouble for growers. A K-State crop entomologist is recommending that producers be scouting for it now. Jeff Whitworth is getting reports from the field about thistle caterpillars in soybeans. The pest often goes by another name that farmers may be more familiar with. Thistle caterpillar is a migratory butterfly called the painted lady. Uh, that's the adult. The painted lady migrates in into Kansas every year in the spring and then migrates back out in the fall. At least always has. But in the meantime, when they come in, they start laying eggs. What we have been seeing in the last two to three weeks are the thistle caterpillars from that first generation. This is still going to be a springboard population into the next generation and then even possibly the next generation after that. 
And this caterpillar is more active than normal this year, according to Whitworth. And that activity is setting up at last for quite a while. He describes the damage these inflict on the soybeans. So far this year, we've had pretty good population for first-generation thistle caterpillars. And, and there's not that many beneficials or natural enemies that are going to help regulate the thistle caterpillar. When the eggs, they're laid on the leaves of the, of the soybean plants. Then as the larvae hatches out, it will take webbing and kind of cover itself, pull the sides of the leaves in. So they're really in a pretty well-protected little cell. And within that cell, then, they will feed on the leaf tissue. And as they get bigger, they will broaden that cell and include more leaf tissue. So generally speaking, each caterpillar is is not that well seen or highly visible because they're covered by leaves. So growers don't really notice it. Uh, until the second or third generation when you have a lot of that going on. So they, they can do some damage. And it's upon scouting their fields that producers decide to treat their soybeans for this caterpillar. They should keep in mind that the product must reach the insect itself to be effective. If you do decide that it's reached a treatment threshold, you have to have enough liquid carrier and enough pressure to get through that barrier to get to where the caterpillar is itself because these are contact insecticides. Usually they don't build up into that density that we have to treat, but like I said, this year they're not going to go away, Mm -hmm. uh, affecting at least the later planted beans especially or double crop soybeans. Those comments entomologist Jeff Whitworth. Again, he's asking your local extension agricultural agents about the insect choice for controlling the pest in your soybean fields. Another issue this year has been an invaded acre upon acre of pasture and rangeland in Kansas. Highly aggressive perennial grass species that are collectively called Old World Bluestem. In recent years, K-State scientists have been rigorously testing the options for preventing these taking over large expansions of native grasses. Range and pasture management specialist Walt Fick of K-State explains why old world blue stem has become so problematic on pasture managers virtually throughout Kansas. Well, it's a, it is a warm season grass, so you know it's, it's quite adapted, I think, to our environment. Uh, I think it also tends to be, uh, once established, is fairly drought tolerant. And the problem that these old world blue stem has, it seems like over time, uh, as it spreads out, it'll take over and basically eliminate most other species. Some of that's because of, I think, its competitive nature, but also because of apparently uh, allelopathic characteristic. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Well, it's time for us to take a look at sports and uh, more intrigue with Big Poppy, Brandon Minutes. Oops, hang on. I got you. How about this? Can you, you, can you hear me now? You hear yeah, me now? I got you. It's one of those things that if he's not the most important person or the most recognizable person in the Dominican Republic, how do you mistake David Ortiz <laughs> for somebody else? Because now what they're finding out about David Ortiz's alleged assassination is that he was not the target. Evidently, it was a drug dealer targeted by other drug dealers from the island, so natives of the Dominican, who were targeting each other. And evidently, he was sitting like three bar stools down from the actual bad guy. Mm-hmm. So they walk up to him, and they shoot Big Poppy, who's on his way to the Hall of Fame. Right. And, oh, yeah, by the way, that's the wrong famous person sitting in the bar at that time. We're going to shoot the baseball player and not 
the other rival drug dealer. But anyway, he's recovering nicely from his third surgery that actually happened early this morning as a complication from his second surgery. And, his first, his, and of course, his first surgery, and this is just his three surgeries he's had at Massachusetts General Hospital there in Boston, not counting the two emergency surgeries that saved his life. So now he's up to five. Police say a suspected drug trafficker offered to pay $30,000 for the shooting. We're going to talk about why that number is important here in just a second. They've also arrested 14 people in the case, including the suspected gunman, who evidently will be looking at some eye surgery sometime soon. Mentioned $30,000 earlier. That was what was paid to shoot the other drug dealer, not Big Poppy, but they ended up shooting Big Poppy. That's also what Jim Booten got back in 1958. The former New York Yankees pitcher and controversial baseball author, Booten died earlier today at the age of 20. He signed for then the hefty sum of $30,000 in 1958, began his journey through the club's minor league system with stops in, among other places, including good old Kearney, Nebraska. He played a number of his games with the Kearney D League, along with Whitey Ford, Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle, and others who all came through as part of the Bronx Bombers. He went, he went to New York in the spring training of 62, was 21-8, and eight, with six shutouts in his second season in the majors. The next year, not so hot, 18-3, and three, but he did have four shutouts in 1964 and won a pair of World Series games against the Cardinals that fall. Now, other than the fact that he's got a strong carny tie, why is Jim Booten important? Well, for two reasons. One, he is one of the inventors of Big League Chew, the shredded baseball gum that came in a tobacco-like pouch. So kids, when I was growing up, we had two things that really made us feel like adults. We had candy cigarettes and Big League Chew. And everybody who's my age or older is waxing reflectively at this moment at the fact that, yeah, candy cigarettes, boy, those are the days. However, his playing career was forever eclipsed by his 1970 1970 book called Ball Four, the first tell-all baseball memoir that angered many in the game's establishment, among those, Mickey Mantle, where Mr. Booten told the story about how Mickey came to the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning, still hung over from his shenanigans the night before, but all was well because that was the two-run homer that the Mick hit, and then they won the game for the Yankees. He also dabbled in Hollywood. He was in Robert Altman's movie The Long Goodbye in 1973, and also starred in a CBS sitcom adaptation of his book that lasted a mere five episodes. Rafael Nadal's run to the Wimbledon semifinals has also allowed him to qualify for the ATP finals for a record 15th consecutive year. Nadal's the first man to clinch a spot in the season-ending tournament. Novak Djokovic can also put himself in that field if he repeats as Wimbledon champion. Nadal carries a 17-match winning streak into a semifinal tomorrow against Roger Federer. So the big three of the four in the semifinals we know. Nadal... Djokovic and Federer. Serena Williams, we also know her. She'll play in the Wimbledon final for her 11th time, looking for her 8th title. And the 23-time single champion will face off somebody who is reaching her first Wimbledon final. Bless her heart, Simona Halep. And Royals fans everywhere, there is hope. Muhammad is coming to the mountain. 45 minutes ago, KNBC TV out of Kansas City broke the news that Bubba Starling is going to the 25-man roster. I'll be darned. There's a name I haven't heard for a while. Very good. Thank you, Brandon. It is time for us to take a look at uh, our news, what's going on around us today. It's 1230 here on this uh, Thursday, and Bob Brogan's in here with us. And uh, Not a surprise, I don't think, to anyone, but uh, at least this part of the Sydney Loof case has come to a close. 
Yes, a Nebraska man convicted in the killing and dismembering of a 24-year-old Lincoln woman who officials say was lured to her death through an online dating app has waived his right to have a jury decide whether he's eligible for the death penalty. 52-year-old Aubrey Trail opted today to have the death penalty portion of his case sent directly to a three-judge panel, which will determine whether he gets death or life in prison. Trail's choice came a day after a Saline County jury convicted him of first-degree murder in the 2017 death of Sidney Loof. Loof's body parts were found in 14 pieces in ditches along a state highway weeks after her November 16th disappearance in 2017. His girlfriend, Bailey Boswell, is also charged with first-degree murder and is awaiting trial. Authorities say three people died after two pickup trucks collided in central Nebraska. The crash occurred around 3.35 p.m. Wednesday at the intersection of U.S. Highway 281 and Nebraska Highway 58, about a mile and a half north of St. Labore. The Howard County Sheriff's Office says one of the trucks ran through a stop sign and rammed into the other truck. The names of those involved haven't been released. Homeowners, businesses, and ag producers in central Nebraska are dealing with the aftermath of floodwaters from Monday's massive rainstorm. Gibbon was hit hard from the recent flooding on Wednesday. Buffalo County Emergency Manager Darren Lewis says they predicted nearly a foot higher of flood water from what Gibbon saw back in March, but fortunately the water stayed below that predicted level. It looks like it crested about 16.6 feet, which is good. However, the bad news is, for some reason, the city of Gibbon actually saw more flood water this time than they did see in the spring flooding. Lewis says they only had three water rescues, as most people heeded the flood warnings and left town a day before the flooding. Highway 30 remains closed from Kearney to Shelton. The Nebraska Correctional Services Department saying two staff members were injured in separate attacks by inmates at the Lincoln Correctional Center. The first happened just after 1 p.m. Wednesday when an inmate punched a staffer. The second incident occurred around 6.30 p.m. Wednesday when an inmate struck a staffer on the side of her face. She used pepper spray on him as he approached a second time. The department says both staffers suffered concussions. The city of Gothenburg will have a community get-together today to celebrate being named an All-American City. Organizer Luke Rickardson has more on that. Yeah, we came back and uh, just decided that, um, you know, this doesn't happen very often. In our last GIC meeting, we just decided to make it a big deal and have a party. It's really trying to make it like a family event, so everybody comes with that. And then uh, at about 6 o'clock, we're going to have a little bit of a program. And then after that, um, the lieutenant governor is actually going to be here also. Barbecue will be served today starting at 5. Everyone is welcome. The event takes place at the YMCA at Gothenburg Health. Health. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. I appreciate it. Calling all tractor enthusiasts, I'm Clay Patton here on the Rural Radio Network. Whether you have a restored classic tractor or just a hard-working farm tractor that you want to show off to friends and family, well, consider the 7th Annual Custer County Tractor Ride, Riding for a Cause. We're going to learn more about it as we talk with Heather Kohanek. She is the administrator for Custer Care. And Heather, give us an overview of what the event is and what's all happening this Saturday in Custer County. 
The tractor ride has been something we've been doing for about seven years now. It started out with just an idea with some of the folks that, you know, kind of are on the board of the Custer Care, and they just decided after going to a few different tractor rides in, you know, bigger cities that they thought it would be a good idea to bring something a little more local. So what they've been doing, a different route every year, about 50 to 55 miles, and they make uh, different loops around the area, just little scenic drives and kind of like a little parade of tractors. The money that is raised through this tractor ride, that's all going back to benefit Custer Care. So talk to us about what the money raised here, how that benefits Custer Care. Every year we try to kind of tag it for something different. Um, Custer Care started out 27 years ago but from Jeanette Denson and Barb Kramer. They started with adult uh, day services for those that just couldn't stay at home safely. And it kind of evolved into a little of this and a little of that. People would call and ask, well, do you think maybe you could help out at my home? Or do you think maybe you could keep somebody overnight? And it evolved into an assisted living facility, unlike anything I've ever seen. We don't have, you know, a big, like, nursing home type facility. It's just a big house. And we have eight rooms here. And we just, you know, we have people that live here, but it's kind of like just a big home that we all live in. And so we still do home cares where we go into other people's homes and help them remain home safely and independently. And we do still do adult day services where folks come into our facility and they play games and do crafts and get a couple hot meals and showers. And we also provide non-emergency medical transportation for the folks that have doctor's appointments either in town or out of town and they don't have their own vehicle or they're no longer able to drive. Um, we take them to their appointments, and so this year, most of the money that we're raising is going towards our transportation department. We have nine vehicles here. Some of them we use primarily for um, out-of-town home cares. Our staff drives these vehicles to and from our out-of-town home cares. Then we have a couple handicapped and wheelchair-accessible vehicles, and we use those a lot, taking people around for different doctor's appointments that, you know, for those that need to riding a wheelchair van. So that's what we pretty much have this year's money tagged out for is basic routine maintenance, you know, making sure they're all safe, you know, new windshields, new tires, just things like that, just to kind of upkeep our fleet. You alluded to this towards the beginning of your first answer, but how long has the tractor ride been going? And are there any uh, favorite stories from previous year's tractor rides that you want to share with our listeners? Well, this is going to be the seventh year. I know that this is my second year with the tractor ride. And so, you know, I only have a few stories. Like last year was extremely foggy. So they they started out at uh, Plains Equipment here in Broken Bow. And the first venture that they made was across the highway and across some railroad tracks in the dense fog. And so when you have you know, 20 or 30 tractors chugging along, that just, it, it was a little dicey at first, just kind of getting out onto the dirt roads and, and around town, but the fog cleared up and it ended up being quite a beautiful day. I think the third or fourth year, I heard that they had over 50 tractors in the ride. So we are uh, sitting about half of that right now. I'm hoping that maybe we can get it back to the good glory days where there was you know 40 or 50 tractors normally. Let's help get more of those tractors in the lineup, Heather. What's the information? How long can people register? Is there still time to register? And what, where do they need to go? Sure. Uh, anybody's welcome, and they're welcome to register the morning of. Uh, there's just a little bit of information and a, and a waiver that they would have to sign there. 
and the registration is $75. Um, you can just show up with your tractor and, and sign right in, and we'd be happy to throw you in our parade. Do you have a favorite tractor, and will it be in the uh, tractor ride this Saturday? I do. There's a lady here in town that this family has a lot. They're actually going to have six of the tractors in the ride this year, and the one that she drives is pink. And so she, you know, is in a lot of the parades, and and when they do a lot of the shows around here, it's just one of my favorites. And I really appreciate that she's, you know, got her own individual style, and she trucks it around on her pink tractor. Heather, one final question, I guess, as we wrap up the interview. Do you think we've overlooked anything that's important to know about the tractor ride or maybe some closing remarks to round out the interview? If you do decide to come, just know that we're going to leave our starting point at 8. We'll have breakfast there starting at 7, so, you know, come hungry. I think our tradition is some delicious biscuits and gravy, and so that's what we serve every year for breakfast. And then we'll stop for a morning break around 10 and have some donuts and coffee or something. And then we'll stop for lunch, and it's all all the food is provided. So we'll stop for lunch out in in Selmo, and then we'll stop again. Normally, our breaks, the the morning and afternoon breaks, are hosted at different people's homes and their homesteads or their farms. And so this year, I'm excited because a lot of the route is going to be along the Middle Loop River. Again, we've been talking with Heather Kolhanik, Administrator for Custer Care, about the 7th Annual Custer County Tractor Ride, Riding for a Cause. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at our financial markets here on a Thursday. In the overnights, the Japanese Nikkei was up 110 points. The Hong Kong Hang Seng was up 228. London's FTSE was down 20, and Germany's DAX index was down 41. Here in the United States, uh, the stock markets are a little mixed right now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 149 points, but the NASDAQ is down 17, and the S&P is down just a little bit over a point. Bob Rogan's in here with us to give us more. Well, technology companies and banks pushed stocks higher on Wall Street earlier, extending the market's gains. The Dow Jones Industrial Average did move above the 27,000-point mark for the first time today a day after the S&P 500 made its first move above 3,000. Health insurers and pharmacies rose after the White House withdrew a plan that would have let patients receive the rebates that drug makers now pay to insurance companies and distributors. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell says home builders are having a tough time building lower-cost housing because of higher tariffs and tougher immigration policies. The home builders feel like they've been hit by a perfect storm here, Powell tells the Senate Banking Committee in his second day of testimony before Congress. Higher tariffs have increased costs for construction materials, he says, and tighter immigration enforcement has made it harder for builders to find workers. Even though the Fed has kept rates low and mortgage rates have fallen, those factors have pushed developers to build higher-priced homes to cover the bigger costs. The White House says President Donald Trump has withdrawn a plan that would have eased the financial bite of drug costs for people on Medicare by allowing them to receive rebates that drug makers now pay insurers and middlemen. The plan from Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar ran into opposition after the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office said the plan would have little impact on manufacturer prices 
and would cost taxpayers $177 billion over 10 years. And Amazon will spend more than $700 million to provide additional training to about one-third of its U.S. workforce. The Seattle company says it will provide its workers with the skills to transition into software engineering positions and technical roles. It's having trouble finding people technically qualified for the positions it has opened. So those are some of the stories we're following. It'll be interesting to see, Bob, if uh, oil prices go up a little bit because of the storms that are coming towards the Gulf of Mexico and stuff, too. That, that is a really good point, and we'll be watching that closely. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. Moyer with you on the Rural Radio Network, the Sustainable Agronomy Conference in Omaha. One of the presenters, uh, uh, CCA, called, his name is Lee Breeze. He's from Edgeley, North Dakota, uh, and uh, talked a, a little bit about uh, cover crops and uh, utilizing, uh, you know, what works, what doesn't. Uh, first of all, Lee, for, uh, kind of the importance of a conference like this. What do you make of all these uh, certified crop advisors coming together and sharing information? Well, it's 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 really a vital situation because. What, what I'm doing and what somebody else is doing are going to be similar in situations, but there's going to be a little bit of difference. So I can learn a lot of things and, and get new ideas and share my ideas with others and get feedback on things I could tweak or do better as well. So give me a little insight into your area. Uh, I think it's South Central North Dakota. Uh, what are some of the problems that you're encountering and uh, uh, what are you working with growers up there on? So the first thing I'll say is that we have a short growing season. That's one of the issues we deal with. Uh, the second thing we I tell everybody we have a flood and a drought every year. We usually too wet early on and too dry late on. And so we're trying to manage that water to give us a little more stability and manage our crops to give us a little more stability. So cover crops are helping us do that by reducing some of our evaporation, getting a little bit more water into the soil through infiltration, and trying to span those situations of reducing the flood a little bit and saving a little moisture for later in the season. Okay, so you said customization. It's almost acre to acre. It's, it's field to field. What, what are the factors that you look at? in order to figure out, okay, how do I customize this situation? Well, it really starts off with what do we need to manage? What are the problems? What are the big things that we need to work on. If, it's, if we have too much water or ponding issues, we need to start there. If we have wind erosion, we need to start there. If we don't fix the big problems first, then the little things don't matter near as much. So we start there. That's the first place. And then we look at what the grower can do, what they have equipment for, what they have time for, what fits into their system, and then we tweak this all the way through. One of the things that you said during the presentation was every acre has to pull its weight. What, what do you mean by that, and, and how do you go about managing for that? So every acre has to pull its weight, kind of goes back to this flooding and too dry of an issue, right? So there's going to be places in our field that we don't have enough moisture to grow corn actively or well. It's just too sandy or too dry. There's acres that flood out on us typically. Then there's acres we have salt problems with that things don't grow very well at all. And so when we go into those acres and we plant that crop that doesn't do well there, it doesn't pull its own weight. It becomes a negative drain on the system. And so it's a negative expense on that acre. So the acre that was doing well, that is giving us a profit, is paying for that other acre. And that's something we can't afford to do, neither sustainability or economically. 
so somebody's going to say, yeah, you're from North Dakota. Right. What? How does that apply? Uh, how do you respond to that? How does that apply to Nebraska? Well, not every acre yields exactly the same, first of all. And not every acre is doing the same thing in the same way. There are problems in lots of situations. There are weed problems. There are, there are insect problems. There are still water problems. There's also erosion problems, for sure. So those acres need to pay. If you have... You know, runoff erosion that's washing your corn out through those areas, that acre's not paying and you're putting too much input in it. We'll actually, quote unquote, retire acres or fire them is another thing that I'll say. We'll fire that acre that's just a negative drain. It costs us all the inputs and we get no yield back. So if you have a washout area that continuously washes out and it gives you no inputs back, why put the expense into it? Do something else with it. That's what the grass waterways are for. That's what different types of management are. I can't give you the specific management for that field until I stand in and talk to the producer. Well, it's good to hear you. Thanks so much for for the insight. Appreciate it, Lee. Thank you. Again, we've been visiting with Lee Breeze. He is from uh, South Central North Dakota. He was on one of the panels at the Sustainable Agronomy Conference in Omaha. On the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And a big jump in wheat prices today. That carried over to corn and soybeans as we talk about the USDA report with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Let's uh, get your takeaway from this, this report. Really not a whole lot to talk about. You know, at least on the corn and soybean side, we didn't see much of an adjustment. I think... Um you know, take everything at face value. If we do a 13.8 billion bushel production in corn, we're going to be lower. Um, that's the significant number relative to the the spring we had. So, uh, the fact that the market rallied on that would tell me that nobody believes at all that one yield is going to be at 166 or or acreages at 91. I think one one will come down. If if we're going to do a 166 yield, we'll probably do 85 million planted. Uh, and if we do 91 planted, I, I don't see how the yield is going to be above 160. So. You know, you're looking at close to 600 million, 700 million taken away from that 13.8 number that they talked about today. Um, I still think I trust the satellites, and they're telling me closer to 12 and a half. If it's 12 and a half, we might be up where it's closer to five. So there's still so much uncertainty here. Um, making sales is tough. It's a little bit easier for you folks out in Nebraska because you look like you're going to have the supply. I understand it's going to be hot here, but for your irrigated acreage and anything that's not underwater right now, um, I think 460, 470 would be where you dip your toe in the water if you haven't done it yet. Uh, just don't want to let this market get away because in reality, the market moved today on wheat, and that's uh, you know a fleeting market as we've seen in the past. It was impressive for this uh, wheat trade to be that much higher. When now we're going to have prices still a little bit more than uh, the other countries as well. Maybe it's not that much, though, huh? You know, that was the story, though, for the last year. We never even really earned a lot of that business, but it's I think it's simply a premium that's going to get put into place here. And there's another factor as well as the dollar's getting cheaper. You know, the Federal Reserve came out this morning. They had a two-day testimony, uh, Jay Powell, and, I mean, he's putting the floor. He's putting the pedal to the floor as far as liquidity goes. Uh, the Fed is below this, and, 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 I mean, pairing his statement, basically what he told everybody was go out and buy because the Fed is going to lower rates. They're going to provide liquidity, and I don't think they're going to let this market fall apart uh, from a general from a general stance, and then that should bring about some inflation. So uh, wheat will be very sensitive to that. Um, I don't know if in the short run the numbers we got today are enough to get us above 480, 490, but if we can climb from the 460 SEP price that we're at right now, uh, you know, maybe we get 30 over corn, that takes corn up to 460, 470. Uh, to get beyond that, we need to see further kind of uncertainty, or at least the belief that it exists, and I don't know we're there yet. But with the heat that we're going to see, um, it, it can happen very quickly. You know, a tropical storm coming up the Gulf here, it could change rapidly. So be ready. 
Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to the website, danielsagmarketing.com. And that's going to do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on KRVN, Twitter, or our app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.